You are listening to Trailcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Trailcast on Mountain Bike Radio. If you want to support Mountain Bike Radio, head over to the website at mountainbikeradio.com and look at the uh, shop page there. Hit that up or look at becoming a member. You can uh, also... If you're looking to buy something on Amazon, click on the Amazon link that's on the support MBR page, and it won't cost you anything extra, but Mountain Bike Radio will get a small percentage of your purchase amount from Amazon. All these things will help keep Mountain Bike Radio on the air and off-road riding in your ears. This episode is going to be almost entirely devoted to giving voice to something you probably won't hear much of on Mountain Bike Radio. And that is the opinion of someone who doesn't think bikes belong in wilderness areas. Todd contacted us and asked if there was room for a dissenting voice on Mountain Bike Radio regarding the issue. And of course, there is. So I gladly gave him his say. Tom does ride mountain bikes, but considers himself to be more of a hiker rather than a mountain biker. Still, you may find some surprising areas where Todd and I agree on certain things. All right, so I'm joined here today by by Todd, and he's uh, he's a, a, a friend of the Pacific Crest Trail. He's uh, very involved with uh, some conservation efforts. He hikes. He does a little mountain biking, um, and we're going to talk about some uh, of the the nuances. Just another view of of the mountain bikes and wilderness uh, debate that that's uh, sort of inflamed the entire internet at this point and see if we can maybe shed uh, a little bit of light on it from from a different angle so that we're getting all of the stories. So, Todd, um, I know that you're involved with the Pacific Crest Trail, um, and and I know that, uh, like, I know a little bit about it. I'm sure there are a lot of people who do know about it, but I also know that there are people who don't because the only way that I became aware of it really is that a friend of mine who also mountain bikes um, was talking about uh, through hiking it kind of the same way he he did the Appalachian Trail, where he takes a month off each summer and he goes and he does another section of it. And um, and so, you know, in my looking into it, I kind of feel a lot like that's the West Coast Appalachian Trail. And, and I mean, so that's a big deal. I mean, me being from the East Coast, you know, I feel like I felt like the Appalachian Trail, and that's huge. So, I mean, if you want to start out and uh, talk a little bit about the Pacific Crest Trail and like what that means to you and what it means to, I guess, the hiking community in general. Okay. Um, well, basically, I, I just want to put a little disclaimer on that. I'm actually not involved with the Pacific Crest Trail as a member of the Pacific Crest Trail Association. I've never hiked the Pacific Crest Trail personally myself, but uh, I'm, I'm involved with the North Country Trail in the Midwest here. That's where I live, and I've hiked the whole uh, Ice Age National Scenic Trail. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, uh, people were coming on the Internet and they were saying, uh, we should have bikes on the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, the more I started looking into it, uh, I just thought, thought that was it's a bad idea. It's not what the Pacific Crest Trail was originally uh, set out to be. Uh, when the Pacific Crest Trail was um, approved by Congress 
back in 1968, they set up this committee. It's called an advisory committee. And that committee decided that hiking and horseback riding were to be the uses of the trail. Okay, that was back in 1968 before mountain biking, as I like to say, it was only a twinkle in Gary Fisher's eyes right then. If that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so they established this trail as a hiking and horseback riding trail. And I just think it should continue that way. And uh, that's kind of what got me started on that. And um, I started a a website called Preserving the PCT, and that has all the documents relating to this issue. And I don't really have like an editorial explaining those documents. They're just on this website. You can go on it and look at all these documents and you can make your own decision about it. But um, it's, it's just a place where you can go look. And then I have another uh, Facebook page called Preserving the PCT. Uh, myself, I am not a member of the Pacific Crest Trail Association at all. I just decided, you know, I want people to know about this, uh, this topic, and, and that's why I'm doing it. Right. If you have the passion to collect the information in one place for, for people to be able to go and look at it, you know, that's, that's, it's a valuable asset. And, you know, I feel like that's, that's what Mountain Bike Radio does in its own way. We're here, you know, we're collecting information. That's what we're doing with this whole situation. We want to put the different viewpoints and as much different information uh, out there as we can for people. Um, so, you know, to, to, to follow up on this, I know, uh, as we've discussed a little bit, that, you know, you also have some mountain bikes um and and i i guess uh one of the one of the questions that i would ask is uh what do you feel like differentiates a place where a mountain bike might belong versus a place where it doesn't well um you know when you not in all cases i don't want to generalize but and when when you're mountain biking it seems to me you're more traveling through the space at a, I won't say a high rate of speed, but you're doing uh, certainly faster than a hiker. And you're more looking for some of the thrills involved with negotiating different features of the trail. Uh, the trails are actually made differently for mountain biking. There's um, for hiking, you can have a sharp turn and it's fine. Where in biking, in mountain biking, you need more of a curved uh, a turn to keep your speed up. Uh, and with with hiking, the way I would describe it is, um, it just gives me this glow. After I'm out hiking in in the woods and feeling, uh, you know, the solitude and the, and the peace of the woods and, and whatever you are encountering, encountering, whether it be animals or the scenery, I just kind of get this uh, kind of glow. It just feels good, you know, this peaceful um, and just interacting with the landscape, especially when I'm in the woods. 
uh, and it's kind of like the Force in Star Wars, or on Billy Elliot when he says it's like electricity or, or whatever. So to me, it's kind of two different things. Okay, so then I, I guess to to kind of transition straight into the whole idea of of you know access in wilderness areas. Um, your your take on on access to wilderness areas is is that bikes don't belong, and um, I know that you've got a, a very straightforward view on that because um, there was one of your comments about the the, the interview that I did with Ashley. Um, so go on and, and walk everyone through that, and and walk me back through it, and and let's talk about that a little bit because that's one of the things that that um, well I'll, I'll let you talk about it, and then. I'll kind of I'll kind of interject here and there and ask uh, some some questions about it. Well, basically, um, it's not necessarily that I'm totally against mountain mountain biking or anything like that. Or the the most recent incident where this all came to a head is Boulder's White Cloud in in idaho okay now i would have been perfectly fine with boulders white cloud being a national monument and still allowing mountain biking i'd have been fine with that but that's not what happened it became a wilderness area and you know there's sort of different aspects of what happened there but when it becomes a wilderness area you have to abide by the rules set out as a wilderness area. And one of the things it says in the Wilderness Act is, um, I don't have the exact quote right in front of me, which I I could dig up here, but it says uh, a bunch of stuff that's not uh, uh, not allowed in the wilderness, like no motorized vehicles, no motorboats, no motorized equipment, and then it says no other form of mechanical transport, okay? So when when something becomes a wilderness area, you cannot have mechanical transport in the wilderness area, and that uh, eliminates having mountain bikes there. So I'm kind of like saying, hey, you know, it's bad that Boulder's White Cloud didn't become a national monument, but now that it is a wilderness, we got to play by the rules, and, and that's that's what the rules are. So, um, I guess that that um, the the question that I have, you know, regarding that kind of becomes, you know, it's not so much like. I'm not the guy who wants to sit there and, and debate whether or not a mountain bike is mechanized travel. Um, you know, I'm I'm more willing to go. You know, okay, um, let's 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 go on and say that a mountain bike is mechanized travel. Where do you draw a line at at, um, at what no longer constitutes mechanized travel, or, or where's the line between um, you know what is and what isn't? You know, I look at uh, snowshoes and I think you know that's just that's just wearing you know. Pardon me, I'm not trying to make fun of of, of snowshoers, but that's kind of wearing a pair of clown shoes to to help you walk <laughs> on top of the snow. I mean, right? That's um, me. Yeah. And, and, and and then and then you know you got. Um, 
you know, if you're if you're just hiking and you've got you know a hiking pole, well, okay. Um, and and then if you're if you're skiing, you know, I I start to wonder, you know. Um, a large part of, of cross-country skiing is being able to use your your poles to to um, you know to help propel you, yeah. and and you know I start to wonder where with with something like that you know or is mechanized travel anything that gives you a mechanical advantage and in being able to harness upper body strength to to propel you forward does that qualify and i keep on i keep on going with stuff like that you know anywhere that you've got a a leverage a a point of leverage an orlock for instance or and this is this will get me in all kinds of trouble probably but um in, on, on certain types of, of bridles with particular types of bits, they are specifically set up in order to be a leverage gaining device to where you've got like the top part of, of uh, an, an arm on a bit that's attached to the bridle and the bottom part where the reins are attached so that you've got a, a leverage point there for, you know, maybe a stubborn horse to where you get a little bit of extra control over that horse. Is is that a mechanical device? Um, and, and should horses only be allowed like barebacking with rope bridles um where, where is there is there a line to this that that um you know that's that's being crossed you know if we want to talk about mechanized mechanized travel you know where, where's where's the line if we if we say that uh you know a bike even though it's it's human powered it's mechanized where where do we draw the line what else is mechanized well the, the line is um, uh, the one thing I want to say about just what you you said that you're not arguing that um, mountain biking or mountain bikes are mechanical transport and, and that's good because uh, the Sustainable Trails Coalition they're arguing that mountain bikes are not mechanical transport but let me tell you the exact line that. You're talking about what's the line between um, something that is mechanical transport and something that's not mechanical transport. Now, cross-country skis, snowshoes, and orlocks, they've been around for centuries, for centuries before Christ. They just found a part of a cross-country ski in Russia that dated back to 6,000 years before Christ. Now, cross-country skis, they were originally a piece of wood that you strapped on your foot with a piece of leather. You know, it's the same thing with snowshoes. Snowshoes, you know, you, you got this webbing that looks like a tennis racket and you uh, and it's got a a wooden uh what you call frame and it's totally made out of wood and leather and there's no moving parts um so and then when you get to an orlock the orlock was originally two wooden posts on a side of a a rowboat and you stuck your oars in there, and these objects are, have been around, like I said, for centuries before the mechanical age, where you know the original bike was invented in like uh, 
1810, and the first mountain bike was commercially made in about 1980. So that kind of that's. And as far as the the bridle thing in a horse's mouth, um, I, I don't know what to say on, on that one. I, I've heard that before. But to me, um, you know, when you have people complain about horses in the wilderness, um, I think that's a little strange because if you look at several wilderness areas across the United States, states that horses live freely you know they live wild out in wilderness areas okay so uh if they're like living wild in a wilderness area i i don't know how you can like say that you can't bring a horse into a wilderness Right. Well, I mean, that's what I said. I, I said, should they only be allowed bareback and with rope bridles? But I mean, so now, admittedly, now a lot of this is tongue in cheek, you know, so, but the, the thing here is, is this, is that, um, you know, the whole thing you would, you come back to horses, um, you know, so frequently I've, I've heard the, the argument that, well, bikes cause so much damage to trail, but, you know, anyone who's done uh, any sort of significant amount of trail work in a place where there are, are horses and bikes will tell you that, that bikes cause significantly less damage to a trail than horses do. Um, and, 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 you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of back around the back because, you know, we're still, on, we're still on mechanical devices. Um, but I guess to, to you know to, to bump this into kind of the next phase of discussion is is the idea that um, wilderness areas were still set aside uh, as areas where you know people could go for uh, for recreation uh, in in sort of a, in a natural environment. I mean that was really the whole goal of the Wilderness Act, right? Yeah, well, not necessarily that people could recreate. It's like also, you know, where animals can have some breathing space and where they can live, too. It's The Wilderness Act is not all about people. I mean, if you had a wilderness area and and nobody, no human actually visited the, the wilderness area all year, you know that'd be perfectly fine, but um, I, I don't know what to say say on that. So it, it's not totally based on humans recreating. That's uh, sure. That's I mean, if, the, if it was just a matter of human recreation, I mean, ideally, you know. Obviously, uh, there would be, you know, a, an area, well, I mean, and I think we try and do that with, with city parks and everything, you know, where, where people can go to, to do things. But I think it's about the environment uh, where, where they can go to have this, uh, this recreational opportunity available in, in this uh, sort of pristine environment. And, and I guess to, to, to lead in with that, um, you know, my my question, you know, and I, I keep on going back to this. Like I said, I'm not arguing that, that a bike is, is mechanical. Um, and I, I would argue, um, you know, regardless of existence prior to mechanical age, that in particular, and, and the other stuff I can kind of let go, but in particular, an oarlock, because it uses a lever. A lever is a simple machine. So by definition, it's mechanical. I mean, so, and that's what an oarlock is all about. But I mean, to, to, 
to move past that, because that's all very tongue-in-cheek. So let's say, you know, we allow a simple machine in, in the Orlock into a wilderness area. Um, it's about recreation. So let's talk about the, the, the goals of, of, um, of recreation. I mean, at what point, I guess, do, do uh, the goals of the, the and I'm going to say the average mountain biker, be, um, you know, the backcountry mountain bikers, I think, um, are probably a lot more interested in um, a, a slow traveling, um, you know, I like to get out and ride. I like to, you know, I'm not flying down the trail. I'll ride along. And if I see a place where I want to stop and look, you know, I'll stop and look and take a picture or whatever. Um, that's a frequent thing with me. And, and I would argue that the, the people looking for backcountry access, um, feel like, uh, the the some of the the videos online um, of of guys you know flying down the side of a mountain or whatever on a bike are probably doing a disservice to to people who who are seeking backcountry access. Um, so you know, at what point does the average guy riding along on a mountain bike um, at you know, and I would say a, a, a modest rate. I'm going to say averaging five miles an hour. Um, at what point does that person's goals become incompatible with the, with the goals of a hiker? Do you think? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure about that. Uh, at what point, you know, like four miles an hour, that's or five miles an hour, or six or seven. But the point is when you just made that comparison about people flying down the trail, um, if you open up the wilderness areas to mountain mountain biking, um, are you going to have some sort of like uh, uh, elimination or, or pickiness or, or whatever you want to call that a system where only these cool backpacking uh, bike packer people are allowed in the wilderness and you somehow select that okay you this other mountain biker he's uh looks like he's a rebel and he's gonna fly down the trail and he can't come in the wilderness and is there going to be like some sort of system like that which i i don't think you can do but the point is that if you allow any type of mountain biker into the wilderness area, then you're going to get the people who are going to want to fly down the trail to, they're going to use the Strava app to be the king of the mountain, to have the fastest time, uh, you know, or they're going to try to do their personal best. Uh, so I, I just don't, I, and I wish there was a way to kind of separate that out but I just don't think there's a way. So I, it comes as a package. You know, if you allow this type of, you know, if you allow mountain bikers, you have to allow all all the different types of mountain bikers, not just one sort of mountain biker. 
Yeah, sure. So, I, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, about Boulder White Cloud. Um, let's let's move to to I guess the next potential crisis here then, and kind of look at this. Um, what about what about Bitterroot? Um, because you know, uh, Bitterroot Montana. So the the situation out there is that you know right now uh, cyclists stand to lose access to over a hundred miles of trail. Uh, you know where they've worked with the Forest Service to maintain that for the, for the past twenty years you know bikes have been there they're not hurting anything but they're they're going to be pushed out under the the current plans there and i guess um my question would be um you know how does it how does it make sense that that there's this area where they've had access to it um and they're going to be pushed out how does that make sense and why can't some kind of alternative solution be reached that would you know that that would not result in the loss of access to, you know, a hundred miles of trail in some of the most beautiful country in the country, in my opinion. Um, well, the better route, that's kind of a different situation right there. Um, and, and it's like you say, it, it's bad news. It, it, it's a shame that this is happening, but I'll tell you exactly what's happening here. What happened was there, there are what's called wilderness study areas in that region, okay? So these are areas that they've identified that could become um, wilderness areas. So they study them first, and, you know, eventually they may become a wilderness area if everything goes right, et cetera, et cetera. So... Uh, so they had these areas uh, over there, and um, there's this lawsuit someplace else. It wasn't the lawsuit in in the Bitterroot area, but there was this lawsuit that basically says, "Hey, if you ha- are studying, if you're having one of these wilderness study areas, um, you can't be having all these." incompatible uses happening in your wilderness study area. Uh, So there was like this lawsuit and basically what the lawsuit ended up to be is saying, okay, if you have a wilderness study area, then you have to manage it like a wilderness and uh, until it is resolved. So at some point, and the exact same thing with Boulder's White Cloud, uh, they got to the point where, yes, this is a wilderness, but here's the big news with Boulder's White Clouds is there's 155,000 acres of land that used to be wilderness study areas that now are are released from being a wilderness study area. So they, they were being considered for being a wilderness. They had this big, you know, they um, assigned uh, the land for boulders, white clouds to be a wilderness. And these other areas are now free for multi-use. The same thing has to happen over in the Bitterroot. They have to decide, you know, is this really going to be a wilderness or, or you know, that, that's what has to happen. And um, potentially some of these mountain biking trails will, will be opened up 
again to mountain biking because they do, they'll decide, well, th- that's not going to be a wilderness. So that's that's what's happening over there. It's because well, of the lawsuit. And, and by the same token, they, they could also close just as many as reopen. Uh, you know, so it's and and that's you know that's the 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 big question to to me is you know we we've, we've got uh, we've got these wilderness areas, um, and and I guess the the my my last my last question would be this: um, what effect, as opposed to uh, a person? Being, uh, you know, walking walking through uh, a, a a wilderness area, um, would you do you feel like a a and and again I'll refer to I, I refer to uh, mountain bikers in this case as being the the more of the you know five mile an hour average um, simply because in in my mind and and particularly with the people that I know. Um, to, to sort of to sort of make an argument, um, the the guys that you see in those in those in those videos online that are flying down the trail, um, they kind of weed themselves out of those areas because you know those trails that, that you know like you talk about the difference between the way that the that the trails are built or what have you in, in a wilderness area, um, you know. They're not. They're not there for that long ride out into the middle of nowhere. They're there for that you know quick two hour, uh, you know, charge in, charge back out. Um, so how how do you feel like the the five mile an hour mountain biker um, affects the the wilderness area uh, compared to a hiker? Well. First of all, there have been some people that say that hikers will actually, you know, harm the environment more, or backpackers, okay? Because uh, when you're going out on your mountain bike ride and um, you're, you're covering this ground and most likely they say that mountain bikers – will not stay overnight. They're, they're, they're going to go out and they're going to come back that same day. Now, maybe that's kind of being, um, what are you stereotyping? I, but bike packing is becoming more of a thing now. But uh, there's some people that say, you know, backpackers actually affect the land more because they're staying overnight. They're having a campfire at their campsite and, and all that stuff. But, um, what I'm saying is, is, is not necessarily like, um, you know, is one going to do more damage than the other or whatever? And let's say it's the exact same damage, but, um, I'm not saying that it's like pointless or irrelevant or, or anything like that. I'm saying that these are the rules that are set out for wilderness areas. And, you know, you can try to change the rules that that's fine. But right now we have this set of rules that says no mechanical transport and, um, we, it's unfortunate, but that's that's the way um, we have to do it. Now, again, what the problem here is, 
Okay, we, we didn't talk about the Sustainable Trails Coalition yet, but they're the people that are, you know, driving this. They want to change the laws so mountain bikers can be in the, mountain bikes can be in the wilderness. But um, basically, the way the Sustainable Trails Coalition is doing this is is not what you did. You said mountain bikes are mechanical transport. Um, the S- Sustainable Trails Coalition is saying, uh, you know, mechanical transport is something else. It's motorized transport. It's it's uh, uh, bulldozers and, and all that stuff. That's mechanical transport. And, and mountain biking is not mechanical transport. And I think that's a, an error on the Sustainable Trails Coalition. You even admitted that mountain, mountain biking is mechanical transport. And I think that's the way to go is just to say, hey, we're mechanical transport. We never... You know, we weren't around when the Wilderness Act was was uh, first uh, approved. We're around now. We're doing stuff. Uh, we're doing good good work. Uh, and uh, just give us a shot to you know change the law. Uh, but but don't be saying that you're not mechanical transport. That's basically what I'm saying. Sure, I think the I and, think the, the the most logical way to go about it is to say, can we get some something that says, you know, we understand, you know, mechanical transport, motorized transport. I think there's a certain amount of intent, and I think that's what the the Sustainable Trails Coalition is arguing is 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 intent, which it's you could take it to any court in in the world, and, and they tell you, well, you you can't you can't infer somebody else's intent. They have to they have to tell you what the intent was. Somebody else's intent can't be inferred. Um, and, and so to me, maybe the right way to go about that, and you can agree or disagree with this, I'd be interested in knowing how you feel about it. To me, the way to go about it would be to say, you know, hey, maybe maybe it's human-powered transport as opposed to, you know, um, you know, we can we can limit this or maybe specifically put something in there. But the, the, the point is the goal is it's human-powered transport, so it's still recreation, and it's not somebody twisting the throttle on a motorcycle. Yeah, I mean, you can say that and all that, um, and that's good. And if Congress approves that, then that's fine. But the main problem here is that, you know, people are saying, you know, all these environmental groups are saying, well, if you open up the Wilderness Act right at this time, all sorts of bad things are going to happen. You know, you got people that want to sell public lands. We've had this whole thing out with the the Bundys in Oregon that uh, want the land to be given back to the people. You've got timber, you've got oil, you've got mining, all these. If you let mountain bikers in, you're going to let all the, you know, you're going to open up the door for all these. This is a valid concern. But um, the one thing that I want to say, and especially to you, Drew, here, um, you got to, I think you got to take a a little bit of a step back here, is that, um, is it really all that worthwhile to have 
mountain biking out in the middle of nowhere where there's not very many people to, to benefit? Um, or is it better to have mountain biking on, let's say, North Ford Street of Clarksville, Tennessee? I mean, you have a college, a major university, less than a mile from there. You have, you know, a population around Clarksville that will use a, a mountain biking trail system right there. I, that's the way I feel mountain biking should go. There's not enough facilities where the people are. Now, if you look at skateboarding, and every time I say skateboarding, it drives mountain bikers nuts, okay? But if you look at skateboarding, um, and you're looking at youth getting involved with skateboarding, 6.9% of the youth are involved with skateboarding. Only 3.4% of the youth are involved with mountain biking. Now, why is skateboarding kicking mountain biking's butt? Because skateboards it's, are cheaper. It's, it's not only that. I, it, it, you can say that, and, and in a way, they're, they're not totally cheaper in some cases. I mean, you can go around to Rummersdale and get a mountain bike for, for like 20 bucks or something, Okay. The reason why skateboarding is kicking mountain biking's butt is that there's more skateboarding facilities. In every little town around, there's a skateboarding park. I mean, and that's what mountain biking needs to do to get more people interested in. Not having mountain biking, you know, way out in the middle where nobody lives. And when you're talking about having you know, a limited about amount of volunteers to to maintain the trails, and, and and if you actually want your mountain biking system to be used, I think that's what you need to concentrate on. And I think um, you're, you're kind of evident from from what I'm understanding. You yourself have been involved with building a mountain biking trail system, right? next to urban area. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've done several that way. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, by the same token, there are, are parks in the same town where you can go and, and there's hiking trail there. And so, you know, I can make the, I can turn the argument around on you and say, well, there's hiking trail there. Why would you want to go out into the wilderness and hike, Todd? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know exactly what to say about that but um it's you know i'm planning to go to the glacier it's a beautiful spot but um even even with backpacking with youth backpacking has five percent of the youth participating in it and mountain biking's only got 3.4 percent of the youth participating in it and youth are more willing to lug a heavy stuff into their wilderness on their back then go mountain biking and the reason why that is there's more local organizations there's more local facilities like the boy scouts get people out backpacking uh they're a local thing and that's why i think you need more local mountain biking parks 
than, than having this big pie in the sky thing about uh, doing wilderness areas. Well, it's certainly a valid thought. Um, I've heard uh, a lot of advocacy advocacy talk here recently uh, regarding, you know, why it is that there are are no more uh, mountain bikers, you know, below say the age of eighteen than there are, um, and I, you know. I, I myself have made the argument in several of those conversations that you know part of it is because we don't have uh, the Boy Scouts taking troops mountain biking, and uh, I think part of that is because you know honestly these these Boy Scout troops um, you know they don't have to have a, you know a pack frame and and a pack that they can start out with you know their their book bag. And, uh, and, you know, uh, their, their, their equipment, you know, kind of all tied up to that and everything. Whereas, you know, there's really, there's really no two ways about, uh, about a mountain bike. You know, you can, you can go, uh, you can go, you know, get one at a rummage sale for, for $20 or something, but, uh, and, and occasionally you're going to find a, a pretty nice bike that way. But the, the reality of the situation is that, uh, to, to get, you know, an, a nice pack frame you're looking at you know about the same amount that it costs to to buy a nice skateboard and if you want to get into uh you know what we call a, a good quality a good quality mountain bike and you go to a store you're looking at probably about three times that amount so you know i think that's part of it i think that uh that uh, parents are a lot more willing, for the most part, with their children to uh, to spend money on. You know, if it comes down to like, do you know, do we get them? Do we get them the, the latest smartphone uh, so that you know we can keep in touch with them and they can keep in touch with their friends, or do we get them a mountain bike? Um, you know, I, I think I think there are a lot of smartphones being purchased uh, instead of things like mountain bikes. So, you know, I think that there's a, there's a lot to the monetary side of it. I think that there's a lot to the local organization side of it, um, and you know, I think uh, I think that you're you're probably right, and I probably look uh, you know past it to a certain extent because you know from from where I sit within uh, within you know twenty minutes I can be at one place to mountain bike forty minutes I've got two uh, forty seven minutes I've got four uh, an hour and ten minutes I've got seven different places that I can mountain bike from here so you know I, I look at it from from kind of that standpoint but what I don't have is a place where I can go and ride you know uh, you know, like a 20 to 40 mile loop out into the wilderness. And, and where you said, you know, Hey, I don't really know why I would go to the wilderness as opposed to the place in town. And like I said, the, the answer is, is the experience. The answer is that, um, that, that experience is something, um, that, and, and you're talking about, you know, when you hike down the trail, you know, we go to a park and, um, and, you know, if, if it's the first time at a park or something, sometimes that can be, uh, or the first couple of times, a very special experience. But we keep on going back to that park and we kind of get to, you know, where we know, you know, where everything is and how everything uh, looks and feels. And you might see different wildlife on a different day, but something about that gets to be old hat. And going out into the wilderness, you know, going for that, that longer trip, um, 
that never gets to be old hat, even if it's a trail that you've ridden several times, because uh, you realize, you know, you go to a park, if something happens and you're in the park, all you really got to do is walk out. I mean, what are you at, at, you know, tops, you know, two or three miles from, from, from the truck, you know, if you, you're out in the wilderness, you know, 20 to 30 miles from, from maybe even any civilization at all. And, um, and, and, you know, going out there and experiencing uh, the, the isolation, experiencing the, the beauty of what's out there beyond where uh, the average person is, is honestly is willing to go, um, you know, is kind of one of those things that when it boils right down to it, you know, my best argument for why should mountain bikes be allowed in places like that is because, you know, I feel like we experience it the same way the same way other people do in terms of you know that that we're willing to get out there and do something outside of outside of what the average person will do um and and i think that uh the what a mountain biker experiences and what a hiker experiences um in in those situations are very similar very similar things um you know very very much similar to the way that uh you know somebody who's running you know they talk about a runner's high all the time and then like road bikers who get out and they have very much that same sort of uh constant effort cycling um which you know they 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 talk about the same thing they talk about that kind of that kind of high that they get after they've been going for a while and it's the same thing i i i think that uh i think it's a very comparable experience it's just done in a different way so you know I think that um, I think that you've got some very valid points, and I think that as it stands right now, um, you know, you, you've nailed the biggest reason why bikes shouldn't be in the wilderness right now, and it's because the law says that they shouldn't be there. Um, but looking to the future, uh, I would like to see a, a point arrived at to where at least in in new wilderness areas and you know where there are already uh you know trails extant that mountain bikers have invested um the 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 time and made the commitment there and uh and that experience exists that 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 experience would not be would not be taken away so so basically the thing that i i had to say that is that yes we i I would enjoy to have mountain bikers be able to have you know a great experience uh, to have epic trails you know places where they can really get out there and like i said earlier that I, i wouldn't have minded if boulders white clouds would would have been a national monument instead but when you're looking at wilderness in the lower 48 states wilderness is like 2 2.5% of the land area in the lower 48 states now john john fisk who uh, is a mountain biker uh, advocate out in in colorado he keeps on saying you know oh in my state i got 3.6 million acres of land that I can't ride on because of, you know, wilderness and roadless areas and uh, wilderness study areas. So he has 3.6 million acres of land that's 
not available for mountain biking, but when you look at Colorado, they got 14 million acres of public land. So you've got over 10 million acres of public land in Colorado. And, you know, are you going to say, oh, all that 10 million acres is crap? You you know, I, I don't think so. I think there's, you know, miles and miles and lots of great places. And and sometimes, to tell you the truth, the wilderness areas are not that great as far as scenery. They're like a swampy area, mainly swamp, because swampland is, um, you know, they figured out that this is the mo- most important area for animals and, and for, for plants and, and whatever. So a lot of the areas, uh, you know, aren't even that great for scenery. Uh, and so to, to me, I think, um, yeah, if you don't want a new wilderness to be um, proclaimed, then sure, have your voice be heard. Let, let, the, um, let, let your congressman know, and hopefully it won't become a wilderness area. But again, you're talking about... 2.5% of the land area is wilderness. And Ted Stroll of the Sustainable Trails Coalition, he says, that's in the lower 48, he says that wilderness areas will never be over 3% of the land area in the, in the, in the lower 48. So, I, I mean, so, so to, and, and mountain bikers themselves they're only 3% of the population. So you have 3% of the population that wants to go into 3% of the land area. And to me, you know, there's places you can ride. If you work, hiking's been around a lot longer than mountain biking. The Pacific Crest Trail was started on in... 1936 around, okay, and so is the Appalachian Trail. They, they were started out, you know, and and mountain biking didn't even start until like around 1980. That's uh, 1981 was the first uh, commercially made mountain bike. So I, you've only been around like 35 years where hiking's been kind of around for like 80 or something like that. And, and now it's the time to be, you know, going out, selecting the places and picking these places that have beautiful scenery that are not in wilderness study areas and, and, and making it, getting, your, getting some fantabulous trails going. It's not easy. You built trail, you, you know, all the processes you have to go through to get a mountain mountain biking trail done. But the fact is, is that the Forest Service says three out of four of their trails are not up to maintenance standards. Now, mountain biking is allowed on 123,000 miles of trail in the Forest Service. Okay, so three out of four of those trails are not up to standards. Uh, 
you'd be better off going out and working on the trails that you can already ride on and expanding that that's how the Pacific Crest Trail started. They had a trail down here in Southern California, the the John Muir Trail, maybe not quite in Southern California. They had other trails up in Oregon, and they connected all these trails together and, and made the Pacific Crest Trail. I think uh, something like that could be done for mountain biking. It, it's and, actually it's actually in in progress right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I just say, you know, let's let's go by the rules we have. Let's try to work. But but the thing that I'm seeing happening now ever since the Sustainable Trails Coalition came along is it's like and the thing I, I really, really hate is now we've got this and you ha- had a nice program on this, how. You, you know, you should give to the IMBA and you should give to the Sustainable Trails Coalition and, and whatever. But, I mean, the thing that's going on now is what I call major IMBA bashing. Uh, Ted Stroll says that's not their goal or whatever. But in February, John Bliss joined the Sustainable Trails Coalition and the first thing he did was send out this open letter bashing Imba. And, and I just really, you know, there's things that everybody, so, so what if Imba, if Imba wants to concentrate on making great trail systems, I mean, that's what they want to concentrate on. Then let, they don't want to get involved with embroiled into any other stuff. That's fine. Didn't, didn't Imba come over? and help you out build the trail system? Uh, not on any of the uh, systems that I specifically work with, but you know there are several uh, trails that I've ridden where they have had a hand in, uh, you know, if not uh, if not helping to design certain reroutes, then at least their uh, their their for profit trail uh, trail solutions uh, trail building program has uh, has done some reroutes of some trails that I've been riding for for a very long time uh in in uh in Virginia so you know I've had some interaction with them uh but you know I've never had uh you know that's that's kind of been my thing you know along the whole way is um for for me what what Emba's really done is you know they have uh, all of the information that I need to go in and to be able to say, you know, mountain bikers are are really not going to be a problem if we can build trails in this park, you know. And and usually when I go in and and say, you know, something to that effect, you know, I'm talking about multi-use trails in a park that doesn't have any trails. So, you know, mountain biking trails, hiking trails, uh, horseback, you know, if that's that usually comes down to uh, the municipalities, you know, more and more municipalities will not allow horses in, in any of their parks for any reason um and and you know that's that's one of those things that i I, you know the 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 equestrian community there's some kickback from them when that happens and i i kind of feel bad for them but at the same time um i understand that uh you know in the same way that there are mountain bikers out there that give the mountain biking community a bad name there are plenty of uh of equestrian uh people out there who 
have have done the same for for that group. And uh, as uh, as a mountain biker once pointed out to me when I said, you know, most horses aren't that bad, he said, yeah, but you know, nobody's two thousand pound mountain bike ever kicked anyone and broke a leg. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the 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 thing that I, I want to say to you personally um, is, um, you know, you've gone out and, and you've done these things. And that's great. I mean, you, you build trail systems. Right now, I'm involved with uh, building five new miles of North Country Trail in Copper Falls State Park. And the North Country National Scenic Trail is a hiking-only trail in most cases. They, they want to be the nation's premier hiking trail. That's their dream. Now, again, if you go in and... Uh, we didn't talk too much about the Pacific Crest Trail, but if you go in and change the rules for the Pacific Crest Trail, then that's tantamount. You know, every other national scenic trail uh, is affected by that. But that kind of got me off of my track here a little bit. But what I, I, I'm wanting to say to you and your listeners is that, you know, thanks for being out there and building the trail, and we need more people like you. We need more people building trail. We need more people just going down, maintaining the trail. And I'll give the listeners a little bit of uh, idea what maintaining the trail is in most cases. You hike down the trail with a bosa and a loppers, and you... You know, any limbs that are hanging over stuff that's growing into the trail, you lop it or you, you saw them away. If there's a huge tree down on the trail, if it's a, if it's a tree that you can't get with your bow saw, um, then you tell your main chapter, um, the, the, the guy who's the organizer, um, uh, the trail, the trail manager, like yourself, uh, you t- tell that person, and that they'll send in a person with a chainsaw to take that big tree out of there. But all you have to do is walk down the trail with a loppers and a a bow saw, and you can get ninety percent of the trail cleared. Also, for building the trail. It's a lot like gardening, you know, you're hack, what I call it, you're hacking the dirt. Uh, some of it is a little bit more strenuous than other parts of it. Like I'm what I call a front hacker. I'm out in front of the trail crew. I'm hacking away the tree stumps. I'm hack, getting rid of the rocks. I'm doing the major hacking where the people at the far end, the the far end of the trail crew, they're kind of sculpting the trail. They're kind of planing it. So that's a little less strenuous. So I just want to tell everybody, you know, come out and help Drew build the trail. Uh, wherever you live, uh, we need people to, to get involved in that. And, and that's a that's a great thing. And for Drew, you've made these mountain biking trail systems uh, how, how many have you made like two or three uh i've been involved in a whole lot more than that but yeah i mean as far as uh, as far as like a lead developer on yeah about, about three okay so you're talking about 
um, you know, it's a wonderful thing because there's people out there that if you go back and you, you know, 10 years from now and I don't know if you could magically get all the stories from people and, you know, some of these trails that you made or developed, worked on, that's going to be the first mountain biking trail that this person biked on. And that's going to be the trail that got people interested in mountain biking. And um, that's that's a great thing. So I just want to say thank you for, you know, going out there and, and being, you know, this trail steward. And everybody else, whether you're a hiker, there's, there's lots of miles of hiking trail that needs people. Um, there's lots of miles of, of biking trails that need people. So come on out, get involved with your local chapter, and that's going to make a difference. So thank you again. Hey, no problem. Thank you. That's something that uh, I think we can both agree on for sure is more hands-on, uh, you know, on the trail there, uh, maintaining it, helping to build it. Uh, that's something that regardless of whether you're an equestrian or a hiker or a mountain biker, uh, that's something that, that everybody can get behind. It's going to be beneficial to all of those communities. And uh, Todd, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. So let me be clear about something you heard in the interview. I do believe, strictly speaking, that a bike is a mechanical device, a mechanized travel apparatus, whatever you want to call it. The crank arms at the bottom bracket extend out to the pedal and give you a lever. And a lever is the simplest form of machine. But so is a rowboat because, strictly speaking, an oar lock effectively turns a paddle or an oar into a lever by giving you a pivot. You pull a little ways, the paddle on the end of the oar moves a much longer distance because of the effect of the leverage ratio and the pivot point, etc. I do think that we need to be realistic when we approach arguments such as bikes and wilderness and focus instead on the fact that this is a human-powered mode of transport. But there are also other things to take into consideration but I'm hardly an expert. I hope to very soon be able to offer up an interview with a representative from the Sustainable Trails Coalition, which I can hopefully touch on some of these points and, and get some feedback from people with feet on the ground in the argument. I've come to feel that the internet in general has enough social media pundits with no skin in the game at all who can only express hate for everyone except for their favorite in this Mexican standoff we've now developed between IMBA and the Sustainable Trails Coalition and apparently the federal government by way of the Forest Service. Personally, I wish everyone out there who considers themselves a mountain biker would put on a set of gloves and show up to the next trail work day close to them and support any and every advocacy organization that tries to open the door for new trails and new access or to preserve existing trails and access and quit cutting one another down with the, the infighting within the community. If you want to tell me what you think, you can email me at trailcast at mountainbikeradio.com or speak up on Facebook. Check out the Trailcast page at www.facebook.com slash trailcastpodcast. On that note, you can also follow along with what I'm up to on Twitter by following at Catharius, that's C-O-T-H-A-R-Y-U-S, and on Instagram using the same name, Catharius. Uh, 
responses to this podcast, by all means. Um, if you just want to say that uh, you Todd is a terrible person because he disagrees with you and he doesn't think you should be able to mountain bike in the wilderness, save it. If you've got a good argument, if you've got a good point to make regarding something we discussed, by all means, I'm open to feedback. I got a lot of feedback from Ashley's interview. Uh, some of it was great. I'm going to actually go over some of that in, in an upcoming episode. And um, yeah, again, I really just want to thank Ben at Mountain Bike Radio for giving me a forum for this podcast. Head over to mountainbikeradio.com and support them. Check out some of the other shows over there. Remember, you can get all of the podcasts on Mountain Bike Radio through Stitcher or download the Mountain Bike Radio app from the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. You can also just grab the podcast straight through iTunes. If you like it, do go to the rating section. You give it a good review there, and it makes it easier for other people to find. So it's a big deal. We can, uh, you know, more listeners, more support, uh, more off-road riding in your ears. So that's it for episode 15 of Trailcast. Thank you for listening. And remember, you don't need mountains to mountain bike, but you do need trails. Trails.